This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. Volume 15, Number 3, from March of 1937. Making a Mason at Sight. Author Unknown. Ask the average craftsman what making at sight means, and he'll probably tell you that it is the power of a grand master to back a profane into a corner and say, Dispensing with all further ceremony, I now pronounce you a master mason and then assign him as a member to some lodge. Nothing could be further from the truth. In those jurisdictions in which the Grand Master possesses the power to make a mason at sight, the process is for him to assemble at least the statutory number of brethren, form them into an emergent lodge for the existence of which he gives a dispensation, then gives a second dispensation to that emergent lodge, to omit the statutory time between petition and initiation, and finally, a third dispensation to omit the statutory time between degrees. This having been done, the candidate is initiated, passed, and raised, all in one evening. He becomes an unaffiliated mason and must apply to a lodge and pass the ballot for affiliation just as must any other unaffiliated brother who desires to be a member of a lodge. The phrase, making a mason at sight, is a misnomer. A man is made a mason when he receives his first degree. But making a mason at sight invariably means making a master mason at sight. As all jurisdictions recognize the dispensing powers of the Grand Master, in the formation of a lodge, to omit or shorten the statutory time between petition and initiation, and between degrees, it may seem odd that not all grand jurisdictions recognize the right of the Grand Master to use all three powers at once and make a mason at sight. Sixteen grand jurisdictions by written law expressly permit this act although three of these restrict the process to a regularly constituted lodge. Other Grand Lodges permit the act by having adopted Mackey's list of 25 landmarks as official. Mackey's eighth landmark is The Prerogative of the Grand Master to Make Masons at Sight. Four Grand Lodges in the United States expressly forbid the Grand Master to make masons at sight. A quotation of the law of one of them, Texas, will suffice. Section 7, Code of Masonic Law, Article 35, reads, The Grand Master has no power or authority to make Masons at sight. This Grand Lodge will not recognize any mode of making Masons in this jurisdiction other than in a regularly constituted lodge and after previous investigation regular election, and due inquiry into the character of the candidate. End of quote. 
in discussing the right of a grand master to make masons at sight. The builder, April 1928, said, Wherever a grand master has the power to grant a dispensation for the formation of a lodge, to dispense with statutory intervals between petition and ballot, and between ballot and initiation, he obviously has the power, by exercising all three rites at one time, in his own presence, to congregate a number of masons and form them into a lodge, and proceed to initiate the candidate selected for this honor. It seems that it can properly be called an honor, and for that reason should never be exercised except where no question as to the fitness of the recipient could possibly arise. End of quote. Grand jurisdictions which specifically forbid the Grand Master to make Masons at sight contend that there is not now, and never has been, any power inherent in the Grand Master to dispense with the ballot, or to ask any man for his petition, or to exercise, in his own person, the right to act as proposer, seconder, and investigating committee for any body of Masons, whether of a regularly constituted lodge or a lodge under dispensation. These jurisdictions do not deny the right of a Grand Master to give a dispensation for the formation of a lodge, emergent or eventually to ask for a charter, to dispense with the statutory interval between petition and ballot, to dispense with the statutory interval between degrees. But they do vigorously deny the right of the Grand Master alone to elect a candidate for the degrees. As to whether being made a Mason at sight is an honor or not, there are two schools of thought. A Grand Master, who shall here be nameless, seeing a man made a Mason at sight in another jurisdiction than his own, returned to his home filled with enthusiasm for the idea. He looked around for a suitable candidate and selected a prominent citizen on whom to confer the honor. When he proposed the ceremony, he must have been shocked at the reply he received, but the craft has been applauding it ever since. When and if I decide to ask to become a mason, said the prominent citizen, I do not propose to crawl into the fraternity through the back door. Needless to say, he was not made a mason at sight. The Masonic authorities in this country, who concur in the belief that the Grand Master has this power, have some reason for the belief. As long ago as the third edition of Dermot's Ahimon Raison, 1778, this paragraph appeared. Quote, Apprentices must be admitted fellow crafts and masters only here, unless by dispensation from the Grand Master. This is a very ancient regulation, but seldom put in practice. New Masons being generally made at private lodges. However, the right worshipful Grand Master has full power and authority to make or cause to be made in his worship's presence free and accepted Masons at sight, and such making is good. But they cannot be made out of his worship's presence without a written dispensation for that purpose. Nor can his worship oblige any warranted lodge to receive the person so made if the members should declare against him or them. 
But in such case, the right worshipful Grand Master may grant them a warrant and form them into a new lodge. End of quote. Dermot was the father of the ancients. Which Grand Lodge from 1751 to 1813 contended with the original or mother Grand Lodge, the moderns for supremacy? The United Grand Lodge of England does not recognize any such right. In the first report, Sir Alfred Robbins, noted English Freemason, submitted to the Board of General Purposes of the Grand Lodge of England, of which he was president, is the following. Quote, An apparently authoritative statement having been made to an American Grand Lodge, and as a consequence extensively circulated in the United States and Canada, that the Most Worshipful Grand Master not only authorized but himself shared in the practice of making Masons at sight, thus passing candidates by special dispensation through all the degrees at the same lodge meeting. The Grand Secretary has been directed to communicate with all Grand Lodges in the United States and Canada in Masonic association with the United Grand Lodge of England, a statement of our precise position in this regard. Rule 195 of the Book of Constitutions expressly provides that no lodge shall confer more than one degree on any brother on the same day, nor shall a higher degree be conferred on any brother at a less interval than four weeks from his receiving a previous degree. The Most Worshipful Grand Master has no power, except in the cases of lodges abroad in defined conditions, to grant a dispensation to permit degrees to be conferred at shorter intervals, and then, by Rule 115, only by substituting one week for the four. And the Board trusts that this explanation of the English practice in this particular, which has always been rigidly adhered to, will prevent the further circulation of a misapprehension that, if unchecked, may have serious Masonic consequences. End of quote. The distinguished Mason wrote of the above, quote, The United Grand Lodge of England, as it existed since 1813, has not recognized the existence of such a practice. And in my own time in Masonry, so far from its having been exercised, I have myself seen the most worshipful Grand Master initiate right worshipful brother, the Prince of Wales, while in the very same year, 1919, I was present at the initiation, also in full form, of right worshipful brother, the Duke of York. Both these illustrious brethren took their degrees in precisely the circumstances laid down in our Book of Constitutions. Though, in order to satisfy its provisions, one of them had to remain in England at distinct personal inconvenience two days longer than he had intended to do when having to go abroad on some important mission. In the same way, each served his full year as warden of a regular lodge before being installed in the master's chair. In every possible way, therefore, we have indicated, as English Freemasons, that everything in reference to entrance into or progress in Freemasonry shall be conducted with the strictest regard to the Masonic line and rule. End of quote. But it was not always thus, even in England. 
the first provincial grandmaster for Lincolnshire was the Reverend William Peters. In the minutes of Witham Lodge, June 13, 1796, the following entry appears, signed by the provincial grandmaster. Quote, For divers causes us hereunto moving, we do by these presents dispense with the usual previous notice of initiating, and we do permit the Reverend William Gray of the Cathedral Church of Lincoln to be initiated into these mysteries at this lodge. End of quote. The point of the story is that while recorded in the minutes of a regular lodge, the happening was in a lodge of emergency. In other words, this was a making at sight. How the rite, where it is admitted, came into being can only be speculation. But those familiar with the early history of the craft will find little difficulty in using their imaginations. In the dim and distant past of Freemasonry, both here and in England, regulation was slight. Laxness, freedom, ease in Masonic procedure was common. Lodges met without charters. One lodge would often form another. Men received their degrees in one place, went home, formed a lodge, and conferred them on their neighbors. Grand masters granted many dispensations. But time brought size, and size brought danger. And gradually the rights of masons to form lodges and initiate others was restricted. The system of charters became universal. Finally, many powers once possessed by masters of lodges were restricted to the Grand Master, just as powers once possessed by individual masons were restricted to masters of lodges. Among the former was this easy way of making a mason, and it survived only as a right of a Grand Master, when to him alone was entrusted the power to give dispensations as to time and the right to gather in a lodge. In this country, at least the most widely known example of the practice was the making at sight of President-elect William Howard Taft. The ceremonies were held in the Scottish Rite Cathedral in Cincinnati, the afternoon of February 18, 1909. Grandmaster Charles H. Hoskinson of Ohio convened an occasional lodge, and candidate Taft was introduced, initiated, passed, and raised. In the evening, he witnessed the conferring of the master's degree in full form in Kilwinning Lodge No. 356, which later, April 14, 1909, elected him to membership. As president and as chief justice, Brother Taft was an extremely busy man. But he valued his masonry, as is shown in a number of visits and addresses to Masonic bodies. His Masonic record, after his making at sight, includes April 22, 1909, he visited Temple Noise Lodge, number 32, at Washington, of which his close friend and aide, Major Archie Butt, was a member and for whom, after the Titanic disaster, Temple Noise Lodge held an elaborate memorial service, which Brother Taft attended as one of the chief mourners. 
he visited the famous American Union Lodge No. 1 at Marietta, Ohio, June 15, 1910. Alexandria Washington Lodge No. 22 on Washington's birthday, 1911. May 9th of the same year, he posed for a picture in Washington's Masonic Regalia at the White House. May 13th, he visited St. John's Lodge No. 1, Newark, New Jersey, to help celebrate its 150th anniversary. On December 27th, 1914, he addressed the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, and on June 5th, 1918, he spoke to Crescent Lodge No. 25 of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which lodge elected him to honorary membership. The practice seems to be growing less and less as time goes on. Doubtless, there is less and less necessity for it. It has never been common, and the very fact that so few makings at sight have been found necessary in so many years of American Freemasonry is conclusive evidence that there is seldom any need for it which cannot be overcome. It is true that there are prominent men nationally known, enormously busy, their time so filled that the common manner of becoming a Mason makes a demand greater than they can grant as far as time is concerned. It is not for these pages to say that the practice never has been, never can be, justified by necessity. But even in grand jurisdictions in which the act is specifically permitted will be found, occasionally, official cautions against its use. Thus, in the Arkansas Digest of Edicts, 1919, is the following. Quote, Section 549 The powers of a Grand Master are to communicate in due form the secrets of Masonry, with or without ceremonies, to any candidate of lawful age, otherwise qualified, that he may select upon his entering into the necessary obligations on his part to make him a mason. To any candidate of lawful age otherwise qualified, that he may select upon his entering into the necessary obligations on his part to make him a mason. And for the purpose of performing the ceremonies, the Grand Master might call to his assistance a lodge or masons, or may act alone. For if the power amounts to anything, the Grand Master must be competent to act alone. Otherwise, it is no power, for he is dependent upon others to assist. And when Masonry began, Grand Masters had thus to make Masons. And in countries where Masons are few and far between, it might be done yet, with propriety, for the purpose of forming new lodges. But in Arkansas, we have enough lodges to work up all our material, and the power should not be exercised in any case except by dispensing with time in favor of a lodge duly applying, and much less when the exercise of the power is invoked in favor of an applicant who has been rejected by a lodge. End of quote. Grandmaster Williams, 1871. From time to time, the subject breaks out in the Masonic press. Symposiums of opinions are published. Learned authorities debate it. Proponents defend it. Opponents decry it. The right to make a Mason at sight 
is authoritatively stated to be inherent by some and by others denied even an existence. In certain jurisdictions, a making at sight is sufficiently common, even if it occurs only once in several years, to pass almost unremarked by the craft. In others, even where its legality is undoubted, it is seldom or never practiced. Jurisdictions which adopted Mackey's 25 landmarks before the light of modern scholarship proved by Mackey's own tests that many of them are not really landmarks at all, must now perforce defend the practice of making a mason at sight and declare that it is not within the power of a Grand Lodge to take away from him this right. But the majority weight of authoritative opinion is that, while it is undoubted that a Grand Master may have and use this right where not forbidden, it is well within the province of a Grand Lodge to forbid it. Whatever the right and wrong of the argument may ultimately prove to be, if indeed the question is ever finally settled, at least the odd practice is one of the interesting bypaths of Masonic jurisprudence and has behind it the dignity and the interest of the long use and ancient lineage. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions, and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.